need one, we can get you one. It should have came with your bulletin. But um, we had 12 questions uh, submitted to us. And what I think we'll do with Levi's permission, we'll go for about a half hour this morning. And then whatever we don't get done, we'll finish up tonight. So if you didn't get your question answered this morning, then you have to come back tonight to get your answer. So that's one way of getting you here. Or maybe not. But anyway, so we had 12 questions submitted by different people. And so Levi and I kind of sat down, and I want this one, and this one's too hard, so you take that one. And so we try to put these in order from Genesis down through uh, Revelation. And so I've been picked to take the first one. I won't tell you who uh, these came from, but um, the first one is, How long was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they sinned? Well, the short answer is, we don't know. <laughs> but I'll give you a longer answer than that. And so I think we can kind of maybe surmise and maybe, um, I don't want to say guess, but uh, maybe get an idea of how long it could have been. First of all, we can go to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5, and we can see the longest time that they could have been in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 5 in verse 5, Genesis 5, 5 said, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. So Adam lived to be 930 years old, and so he had to have lived in the garden less than 930 years. Would you agree with that? Okay, I think we can narrow it down some more if we go over to chapter 5 and read verse number 3. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So Adam was 130 years old when he had his third son and his third son's name was Seth. Cain and Abel had already been born at this time. And so Cain had already killed Abel at this time. And Seth, the word Seth means substitute. And so they named Seth substitute because he was basically a substitute for his brother Abel. And so Abraham was 130 years old when his boy Seth was born. So they could not have been in the garden more than 130 years. Now, if we take it from the other end of the spectrum, Adam was created on day six. And then the next day was the Sabbath day, which means that they had to rest. And so we have to assume then that the first week of the creation, they would have been in the Garden of Eden. And while they were in the Garden of Eden, God gave them a command. And that command was to be fruitful and to multiply. So that was a command that God gave them was, hey, I got a man, I got a woman, now you two go have kids. Now it wouldn't have taken them 130 years to have children, would it? It could have taken them around a year. So it's somewhere between a week and 130 years that they were in the Garden of Eden. 
But I want you to kind of chew on this for a little bit. And I'm not going to say this is the answer. But in Matthew chapter 4, turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> and in verse number 1, because the devil, it seems like, Throughout the Bible, the devil does the same thing over and over and over again. He has certain patterns that he does. For example, in John chapter 8, Jesus calls the devil a liar, and he is the father of all liars. And so that was true in the very beginning, and it's still true today, that the devil has this pattern of telling lies to people. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. It says, Then Jesus, in verse 1, was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And then look what it says in verse 3. Now when the tempter, the devil, came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And so Jesus was in the wilderness by himself for 40 days and 40 nights. And then at that time, the devil came and tempted Jesus. So what I would suggest to you, I'm not going to say this is true, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but what I would suggest to you is that it could have been 40 days that Adam and Eve were in the garden. 40 is typically a time of trial. And we can see 40 appear several times in Scripture. But it was after 40 days that the devil came to Jesus and tempted him. And so we've been talking the last several months about something called typology. And typology is a story in the Old Testament that points us to either Jesus or the church. And so maybe this story in the Garden of Eden is pointing us towards this story of Jesus being tempted. And so I do, would suggest that it could have been 40 days that they were in the Garden of Eden and then the devil came and tempted them. All right, Levi. Now, the good Lord blessed us, right, boys, with something called allergies. <laughs> and this past week and a half for me and Brett has been terrible. So if I start voice crack and things like that, I am grown up. It's not because of that. But I will warn you, I, I do have a cold right now, so you've got to bear with me. But I, I think and I, I haven't mentioned this to Brent yet, but I think next time we should just have a, a session where we just Google these things because you guys <laughs> ask some hard questions. Oh, man. So my suggestion would be uh, ask Google next time. Um, <laughs> but no, number two, do angels have free will? First off, I think we've got to answer this. What is free will, right? Free will, in essence, allows for a being to make choices without being forced to do so. Uh, if a being does not have free will, an outside force controls his or her actions. That is the definition of free will. I believe that angels at one time had free will. Uh, I think that may have been uh, before creation and, and thereafter. Um, but that I think that now they choose not to sin. And and I this is just kind of my. Uh, um, theory on it. You can have a different theory. That's fine. Um, but 
I think you know we can we can look at Lucifer and and Satan. You know his angels; they all were fallen angels. They chose to disobey God and and things like that. And um, and you know I I believe that angels are holy by nature, right? They are made to worship God. That's what angels are. They're different than we are. They're different than what God is. They're a whole uh, complete uh, different uh, um, uh, entity, if you will. And, you know, throughout, uh, uh, you know, the Bible, we can see where angels have fallen away. But now I believe that they don't do that because, you know, in, in Scripture, it talks about um, how Michael, the archangel, is going to come down and, and with the trumpet. And I think, you know, if angels had free will yet today and they wanted to sin, what if Michael did that? Then the Scriptures would be thrown off. So I believe the angels had a, a prohibition period where they did choose to sin, and they all fell away, and I, I think that separated the good from the bad. Um, but nowadays, my opinion is, is that angels um, choose to serve God. They still do have free will, but I believe that angels nowadays uh, will not turn away um, from being holy. And so that's my answer on that. <laughs> all right, well, thank you. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, my second question is, how old was Azihai when he became king? This is in the Old Testament. And so let me give you a couple verses because this seems to be a contradiction in Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 8 in verse number 26. 2 Kings chapter 8 in verse 26. It says this, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. So here in 2 Kings, it tells us that he was 22 years old when he became king. But if you go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 22, it says something a little bit different. Second Chronicles chapter 22. Second Chronicles chapter 22. And in verse number 2. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. So Kings tells us that he was 22 years old, but yet 2 Chronicles tells us that he was 42 years old. So which one was it? That's 20 years difference. Well, doing some research, there is two uh, major ideas of what people think happened with this. And I'll give you both ideas. The first one is, it could have been a copyist error. I should have put these up on the screen, but the, the symbol for the number 20 is like an upside-down C, and the symbol for the um, number 40 is that's basically that same symbol turned sideways, like a backward C. And so it could have been very easily just copied down wrong, and so that would have been the 20-year discrepancy. 
But what I think it could have been is that he was 22 years old, and the 42 comes in more of a dynasty. Because it mentions here in uh, Second Chronicles 22 and verse 2, his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. Omri seemed to be, and I know oftentimes um, Asian, uh, Chinese, and Japanese, they have dynasties, don't they? Maybe the, the Min dynasty or the, the Ping dynasty. There's all kinds of different dynasties. A, a group or a family were the ones that ruled for that certain amount of time. So if you was to take, and I did not write these scriptures down, but if you was to take how long Amri, his son Ahab, his daughter Athaliah, and then when Ahaziah came to the throne, that was 42 years. So that seems to be the explanation that this young boy was 22 years old when he became king on the throne, but it was the 42nd year of his family's reign. And so that was a very good question. I had to spend um, a long time on that. And so thank you for the person that uh, asked that. I think Levi skipped one. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but we'll go back and get that one now. (laughs) Yeah, I'd answer question four with skipping number two. I told you I was all messed up this week. (laughs) Anyway, question number two was how long was Noah on the ark? And this answer was given to us. Um with a, a totally different answer than what I have. The answer that was, uh, or the, the, the um, suggestion that was given was 600 and something years. And I'm like, whoa, that's not right. Uh, but anyway, how long was Noah on the ark? Um, there's a lot of speculation on this because there's not really a set date. Um, there's some different things that you could factor into it. Um, some think that it was less than a year. Some think it's more than a year. But this is my answer. 364 days. That's my answer, plain and simple. And I think that can be found in Genesis chapter 8. If you go through there and do the math and add everything together. But my answer to how long was Noah on the ark, that would be 364 days. Just my opinion. You could come up with something totally different. And if you do, uh, please get a hold of me and tell me how you got that answer and things. I'd like to compare the two. But but that's the answer uh, that I got. Okay, thank you. All right, the next one. Number five. If the devil can impose infliction on people, then are there angels that can heal and protect? So if the devil can inflict pain, and I'm sure that was in reference to uh, the book of Job. Job is probably the second oldest book of the Bible. And in the book of Job, it talks about the devil coming down and asking God for permission to do something to Job. Remember that story? It says the sons of God came down and they they were having a meeting and the devil came down and asked God, God, do you see that man Job over there? It seems like you have built a, a hedge around him. You have given him protection. And so it's no wonder he worships you because he nothing ever bad happens to him. And so it's interesting to me that first of all, the devil had to ask permission from God to do something to Job. And then the second thing was, is that God said, yeah. 
God said, you can do whatever you want to Job. You just can't touch his body. So you remember what happened, don't you? Job had 10 kids. And in one day, he had to have 10 funerals. Every one of his kids died. Every one of his uh, animals died. Everything that Job had in one day was just whiffed out completely. But that did not make Job uh, sin. And so the next day, the devil came back to God and asked permission if he could do something to Job. And again, God said, yeah, you can. You just can't kill him. And so Job caused, or uh, the devil uh, caused boils to come upon Job from the crown of his head to the heel of his foot. He was covered in boils. But yet he still did not curse God and die like his wife suggested. So the question is then, if the devil can impose bad things on people, then can also good things happen? Well, I think the answer, and again, we don't know the real answer. I'm just giving you what I think. But it seems to me like in the Bible there are different classes of angels. We have at least four that I can think of in Scripture, different classes. We have something called cherubims mentioned in the Bible. We have something called seraphims that are mentioned in the Bible. Seraphim is mentioned in the book of Isaiah. I want to say around chapter 6. I don't know if I wrote that down or not. I think Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 2, yes, is uh, something called seraphim. They had six wings, two to fly with, two to cover their face with, and two to cover their feet with. And those were referred to as seraphims. There is also one called an archangel. Michael, as Levi mentioned earlier, Michael was referred to as an archangel. And remember, he was the one that God sent down that one night to kill 185,000 men in one single night. That was one angel, Michael the archangel, and he killed almost 200,000 people. And then there was also a messenger angel, and we have a name, uh, Gabriel. There you are, thank you. Gabriel was the messenger angel. Gabriel was the one that came to Joseph and Mary, for example, and said, Hey, I got some exciting news for you. You're going to have a child. You haven't had any relations yet with the man, but guess what? You're pregnant. You're the man, the baby that you're carrying. His name is Jesus. He is God with us. And that was Gabriel that told them that they were expecting. And so I just wonder, and again, this is me thinking, I wonder if the devil, if he was indeed a fallen angel, if the devil was more like an archangel, more so than a messenger or a cherubim or a seraphim. And so what I, what I think in my mind is that there are different classes of angels, and the devil, because it says that the hell is prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So the devil evidently has angels under him that also sinned. And so it seems to me like then there's different classes of angels. The devil is probably in that upper tier, if you will, of an archangel. And so that gives him the ability to inflict pain and suffering and even do other things to people that maybe we're not even aware of. 
And so that's my answer to that, is that the devil can impose infliction because he was one of the higher ranking angels. And so five and six kind of go together, so I'll answer them together. Are there then angels that can heal? And if so, would that be considered a miracle? And I did some digging in Scripture, and I can't really find any cases of an angel actually healing people in the Bible. There were times in which an angel brought food to Elijah when there was nothing to eat or drink, and so an angel came and and gave him food. When Jesus, after Jesus was tempted by the devil, those three different times, it says that angels came and ministered to him. It also tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, he could have called down tens of thousands of angels and actually lifted him off of the cross and took him back to heaven. But I don't really see anywhere in the Bible where an angel actually healed a person. I'm not saying that they did or didn't, but I just don't see it recorded in Scripture. Now, there are some churches that believe and teach and they pray to angels for healing. They have certain angels that um, are over certain aspects of their life. They'll have an angel hanging up in their car, and that's a certain angel over transportation, for example. And they'll pray to that angel and ask that angel for protection and for safety. But we can't really find that in Scripture. And so the best answer that I can say is that I don't see where angels heal, but we do see angels doing what angels are supposed to do, and that's be ministers um, to other people. Now that will raise a question, I'll answer it now, do we have guardian angels? It seems like Jesus says, yes, we do. And I don't know if I wrote that scripture down. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 10. Jesus seems to indicate, let me read that to you, that we have, he talks about children specifically. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 10. Remember Jesus, they asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the, in the kingdom? And he brings some children to him and says, we have to be like them. And then in verse 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So some people take that to say, yeah, we may have an angel that uh, seems to watch over us and guide us to a, to a certain degree. But again, what degree is that? Uh, I'm not sure. So there's my answer on, on angels. All right. Woo, that is loud. You guys can hear me good enough, I think. <laughs> All right. Um, what was the purpose of not eating pork and other dietary laws, referring to the Old Testament, and why are we no longer under these laws? This is a very good question. That's um, actually one that you hear uh, quite often, and I, I love bacon. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I don't live under the Old Testament because I believe we do get to eat bacon now. But anyway, the whole uh, world in Moses' time was full of idolatrous people, and, and we can look back at scriptures and, and see that. Uh, with uh, each nation and each uh, tribe of people, 
believing in uh, many different uh, uh, deities. Um, the forbidden, uh, their forbidding of eating certain foods such as pork uh, distinguished uh, what would later be termed the Jews in the Greeks. Uh, the dietary restrictions further indicated that Israel uh, was a separate nation, uh, a chosen uh, people by God, and saying no uh, to eating pork and other practices uh, that the pagans had helped the Israelites break free uh, from adultery. Now, uh, a lot of the other uh, pagan religions and things around at that time, uh, they would worship uh, uh, swine and, and different things like that. And so I believe that had a lot to do with it. God wanted them to be separate and to stay completely away, as far away as possible uh, from that. And I think in the New Testament, we have some things like that too. You know, God tells us to uh, stay away from certain things because he knows that they're very enticing, right? Bacon is very enticing. When I see some, I'll go and start drooling all over the place. But it's the same with sin in the New Testament. There are things that we're supposed to stay with and just uh, not have that at all. And I think that's what he was trying to get at uh, in the Old Testament. And, and uh, you can see in Exodus chapter 32, uh, you can kind of see some of those things come into play. Um, the number two, I think this is a question that can be answered in two parts. Uh, there were hygienic concerns related uh, to eating pork as well. Um, and that was, you know, the, the ban on eating pork and, and different things like that. Um, and it is known today through uh, science and, and medical uh, studies that uh, pork carries a number of diseases. Um, if it's not cooked right or different techniques are taken uh, while preparing uh, pork and things like that. Uh, you know, they didn't have uh, the, the uh, knowledge of microscopic pathogens at that point. So, you know, they could be cutting up a pig or something and licking their fingers and then, oh, there you go, Johnny's dead, right? Because he <laughs> didn't wash his hands. And so I think that had a lot to do with it too. You know, nowadays we've got uh, thermometers and things like that. Uh, me personally, I think pork chops should just stay in the trash. I don't think you should touch those. <laughs> Not a big fan at all. But bacon... You know, if you know how to cook bacon the right way, mm -hmm. um, you should be set. Number two, invite me over because I'd like to share with you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, in, in the New Testament, um, all the things that the Old Testament were done away with, uh, the Bible tells us that those things, the law was nailed to the cross. Um, and also, if we go to uh, Colossians, um, there's a, a verse in there. It says, uh, let no one judge you uh, in food. And so I think nowadays, if you choose to refrain from eating pork or whatever you want to refrain from eating, um, you have the right to do so. Um, and I don't think anybody can go back to the Old Testament and nail you for eating a pork chop every now and again. But uh, that's my answer on that one. Okay, thank you. All right, we'll do one more, then we'll quit this morning. And this is question number eight. Why did Jesus say, lead us not into temptation in the Lord's Prayer? Let's go over there and quickly take a look at that. It's recorded two different times. It's recorded the first time in Matthew chapter 6. And let's just take a look at that. We're not going to read Matthew 6. But Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus' message recorded there word for word. We have the Beatitudes there in chapter 5. And then Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9 and going through verse 15, is what we refer to commonly as the Lord's Prayer. And that was Jesus teaching them how to pray. 
And in verse 13, he says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the Holy One. But Luke chapter 11 is the second place in which the Lord's Prayer is mentioned, and it it gives us a little bit more insight than what Matthew chapter 6 does. So let's go over there and read Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1. Excuse me. Luke 11 and verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And I think the question is, why did Jesus pray, lead us not into temptation? And I think the answer is given to us in verse number 1, where he tells, or the, the writer tells us, Luke, his disciples were asking Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. John the Baptist is who he was talking about. He said John taught his disciples how to pray. And we don't know exactly what that was. It doesn't tell us. But they said since John taught his disciples, Jesus, can you now teach us how we need to be praying? So Jesus was not necessarily praying these words for himself, but he was praying these words to show them what they ought to be praying for. Because he says, for example, in verse 4, Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus could not rightfully say that, could he? Because Jesus had not sinned. Jesus could not ask God for forgiveness if he never sinned. But we can because we have sinned. Now again, we need to kind of make a real quick separation between sinning and temptation. Temptation is not sin. Let me repeat that. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. And how's the rest of that verse go? Yet without sin. And so temptation is not sin. It only becomes sin when we yield to that temptation, when we have that strong desire to do whatever that temptation is, then that becomes sin when we do it. And so I believe here in Luke chapter 11 and also in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus was just simply teaching his disciples how to pray. I like to refer to John chapter 17 more as the Lord's Prayer. That's where Jesus actually got on his hands and knees and prayed to his heavenly Father. Here is just more of Jesus teaching his followers how to pray. And so that was a very good question because we uh, you know, hear of the Lord's Prayer a lot. And uh, Jesus was just simply teaching his followers how they need to pray. 
And so we need to model our prayer. We need to start our prayer with our Father in heaven, or our Heavenly Father, our Almighty God. And we need to, be, to, to, to do things like that. We need to ask God for thanksgiving. Ask God for forgiveness. Because that's kind of the model prayer uh, that Jesus gave uh, here in Matthew chapter 6. Well, we're going to stop there this morning. But I got a question for you. You ask us 12 questions, I'll ask you one question. And here's the here's a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? If Jesus was to come back today, it's almost 12 o'clock. If at 12 o'clock Jesus comes back and like Levi says, you'll hear Michael the archangel coming with a shout. You'll hear trumpets blowing. You'll see the sky rip in two. The question is, are you ready?